0: You're listening to the Derms and Conditions podcast. Oh, I'm Jim Del Rosso here in Las Vegas, Nevada, for another episode of Derms and Conditions. What has hopefully become your favorite podcast related to dermatology, and it's it's a great day because I'm having the opportunity to talk to someone that I've known for some time. We've we've been at different meetings and. and And got to know each other. Even our spouses got to know each other. Everybody got to know each other at meetings. And it's Dr. Shane Chapman. And Shane is professor and chair at Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center in Lebanon, New Hampshire, where he actually did his training and stayed there and has been obviously there for quite some time, Shane. But Shane actually has an interesting background. He's from Lake Charles, Louisiana, and he did go to college at Tulane. And then he went on to medical school at the University of Texas in Houston, where I believe that's where he met his wonderful wife. And now he ended up in Dartmouth. So so Shane, it's great to have you here. And I have quite a few questions I want to ask you about treating non-melanoma skin cancer. And we can even talk about, you know, melanoma in situ two or whatever if, if we have if we have time, with non-surgical approaches, right? Um, it could be a topical medication it could be intralesional therapy systemic therapies because I know that you have a lot of interest in that and now that we're dealing with a lot of older patients or patients that that are living with more uh, comorbidities where sometimes surgery is not the best option or they don't want to have surgery so I'd like to start out with first of all at Telling you that you are one of the famous people that is at Dartmouth. You, and people don't know that Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, mm-hmm. went to school at Dartmouth. Dr. Seuss went to school at Dartmouth. OK, that's right. Robert Frost went to school at Dartmouth. The actor, Andrew Hsu, went to school <laughs> at Dartmouth and Shane Chapman <laughs> is still at Dartmouth. So yeah. I know you're going to elucidate me with some some brilliance like some of those people did in their careers. So can you can you talk about some of the common situations where you certainly know the surgical options and and. And perform the surgical options and other people in your medical center do. But where you encounter the common situations where you're thinking about util- utilizing a topical approach. And so, so just in general and some caveats on what people can carry
1: away. Sure. Thanks, Jim. Glad to be here. Really glad to talk about this. And I I get excited about talking about it. Let me just say one thing. I do a lot of surgery, love to do procedures. I think our Mohs surgery colleagues elevate our specialty to a great deal. And, um, you know, I don't want this to be an anti-surgical discussion at all. However, you know, like you said, some patients either don't want surgery, they want other options. And I do think it's our job as medical dermatologists to have all those options, or at least discuss them with patients. I'll give you a scenario that's very common in my practice. And for some reason, women more than men have multiple squamous cell carcinomas on their legs, sometimes the lower legs. I don't know why there's a female predominance there, but that's what the demographics uh, uh, show. And after a while, even curatage starts to get uh, a little cumbersome to those patients in wound healing and things. So, intralesional chemotherapy, uh, whether it's 5-fluorouracil or methotrexate, is a great option for those patients. It works. Obviously, it's a little painful, but it's over. Uh, very quickly, and a lot of patients will opt to use intralesional chemotherapy, especially in the lower legs where wound care, surgery, and things like well, that Let me like ask you are- a
0: question. They have multiple lesions. I was actually going to ask you about some of these large, and you might be able to get a biopsy, but sometimes it's hard to get a really an encompassing biopsy because of the location and concern about death Depth and wounds. Depth, and not wound death, wound. depth, Depth, D E P T H, and wounds. Yep. And you don't always have a biopsy on all those lesions, right? So they
1: may correct. be keratoacanthomas, but you're thinking of them as squamous cell carcinomas, correct? That is correct. Squamous cell carcinomas, more on the well differentiated side. I, I don't know that I would uh, do intralesional chemo on, in a transplant patient, somebody that's immunocompromised with a poorly differentiated squam. But for the keratoacanthoma, like squames, I think this is a great option for those patients.
0: So, can you go into some detail? So, I, I'm calling you up. I have a patient, but I am I have very little experience with this and don't have anybody in the practice has done a lot of it. How do I do it? What What agent do I choose? How do I do the procedure? How often do I repeat it? What do I need to
1: tell the patient about benefit versus risk? Yep. So I think, and the the literature bears this out, 5-FU works better on squamous cell carcinoma and intralesional methotrexate, in my opinion, works better on basal cells. It's the same vial you get that we've always gotten if you inject 5-FU for warts and things like that, 25 uh, milligrams uh, uh, per CC for methotrexate, 50 milligrams uh, per CC for the 5-FU, and depending on the size of the tumor, you can inject, inject up to three cc's. Uh, I've never inject, needed to inject more than that into either a single tumor or multiple small tumors. And most of the time you're injecting far less than that. And you, it's, not, it's not hard. I don't use any anesthesia because that hurts too. We just inject it right in the tumor, straight in.
0: Are you injecting into the base around the whole thing or do you inject once
1: going down into the center? I inject once where I think the center of the tumor is and then in the periphery all the way around it. It causes a little edema and swelling, but it doesn't uh, lead to hemorrhage or anything like that. So, you sort of make a a wall around it, if you will, of 5-FU or methotrexate, and that's very effective.
0: So, for the basal cells, these are nodular lesions. These are not sclerotic looking
1: or black yeah. morphia form infiltrative looking basal cells, correct? You got it. That's for most surgery, certainly on the face, those kinds of tumors. Uh, so these are nodular basal cells, uncomplicated, not in the central face necessarily. A lot, you know, basal cells are very common. Uh, some patients will say, hey, is there any way to do this without a scar? I never promised that, but you have less of a scar sometimes with intralesional. Some patients uh, don't want to do the surgery. They don't have time, you know, don't want to take the time to heal up and that sort of thing. It might take two treatments. It might take three. I've gone as, as many as five treatments about three weeks apart. Um, but you can start to see the tumor shrink. The patient sees it shrinking. Everybody's pretty happy when that starts happening. So I'm thinking about the patients with multiple squamous cell carcinomas or
0: caratoacanthoma-type lesions on the lower extremities that maybe not even are in immunocompromised, as far as how we classically say it, transplant patients, whatever. Uh, Do you ever use oral acetretin like we've often used in those patients that are transplant patients in that population to go along with
1: your intralesional therapy? Absolutely. We do it all the time. I'm I'm not sure why dermatologists don't do it more. I think in the 25 to 50 milligram per day range, you get a lot of side effects. But 10 milligrams every other day for the situation you were just talking about really slows down the tumor growth and can decrease the squamous cell carcinomas, whether they're immunocompromised or not. And I think, you know, just 10 milligrams every other day, you don't get too much of the, of the hair loss. You don't get too much of the dryness. Not There's a little bit of that, right? There's a little bit of management of those side effects, but most patients find that very tolerable.
0: Yeah, low dose. Actually, you know, I think twenty-five milligrams or less a day in the transplant population. Right, you didn't have to go up to the larger doses. So it's an impressive drug, and I agree with you. It, I think, it makes sense for people to consider, and the side effect profile is very low. And I even think the lipids, lipids, on, yeah. and, and other issues, the bone changes and things we think about, are really fairly negligible with that dose. That is okay. Correct. So now, now you, do you have to talk to them about? because you're giving them, you know, methotrexate, do you, some of it might be absorbed? Do you have to be concerned about getting blood tests and things when you, when you do this?
1: So, you know, Jim, I don't do that. And I'll tell you why I'm, I'm giving them a, a very small dose of methotrexate. I'm doing it about every three or four weeks. I don't think it accumulates in the tissue, in the bloodstream uh, for that matter of uh, very much. And so I don't do that. And, uh, you know, after two or three maybe four or five treatments. If it's not working, I move on to something else. So it's not like a continual exposure to methotrexate, even if something does get into the bloodstream.
0: So if 5-FU is, you're, you're not satisfied with the response, would you use methotrexate for the caratoacanthoma or squamous cell type lesions? Would you go from one to the
1: other? Absolutely. And there's data that shows that it works. When I really get frustrated, I'll use intralesional 5-FU and methotrexate and photodynamic therapy, uh, which sometimes can trigger a a nice reaction there too. If you really really want this to work and the patient's really refusing surgery for whatever reason, uh, you can add a little PDT as well as the combo.
0: So thinking about Moving on to some other situations. Before we get on to some of the topical therapies that that I know we, we've, we both worked on some of these, right, in the past, um, and a lot of good information from the past, I might add, which I'm sure we'll get into, but... Let's say you have a woman that comes in. She's 32 years old. She has a nodular basal cell carcinoma on the lower portion of the nose, maybe the nasal ala, maybe the super tip area, whatever. And she's like, I don't want surgery. Right. She's 32. It's, It's nodular. You feel comfortable that it's nodular. And, and So you, you tell her, well, we have an option of local radiation therapy, whatever. Oh, I don't want that either. She's pretty adamant about not wanting surgery or radiation. Would you consider intralesional therapy in that patient? And what would you make sure the patient understands about the
1: potential risk of
0: if it doesn't go away and what a recurrence
1: can be like? That is correct. And so, you know, that's a great scenario, right? Because this happens, this happens almost every week or so. Patients either don't want surgery or don't want a scar where clearly the best option for them is Mohs surgery in that area with a nice repair. It'll, it'll be okay, but they just can't consent to it. So I have a conversation with the patient, preferably with their spouse or somebody else that can, can help them make the decision. If we do this intralesional, um, chemotherapy, you know, modes is about 99% clearance. This is going to be 80, 85%. It might look like it clears, but a year later it might come back and now the tumor's bigger and now the surgery's even more advanced. And so, patients understand that, you know, you can draw pictures and do things like that and just show them it, it may be worse than it is now. And some people still go for it, right? They just, just don't want to commit to um, most surgery. I, I am more comfortable in that situation in a in a in an older patient, quite frankly, than a 32-year-old, uh, but I've done it, and it's worked, and they've been very happy, not just around the nasal ala, but around the lips and mouth, where surgery would obviously have some functional decrease as well.
0: So, would you ever consider in a situation like that, now you've done your intralesional therapy, Would you augment with, let's say, using something like topical imiquimod or PDT photodynamic therapy, around that area over and above what you're doing to try to get the best effect? Because what I try to tell them is... When it's nodular, it's almost like you have a ball and it's all contained. Whatever we do to treat it is now broken it up into different pieces. So if it comes back over here, we don't know if there's more on the other side or deep or on the bottom. So now you're dealing with a much bigger area we have to be concerned about. Sometimes that rings in in their head. Other times, like you said, they go, no, I don't want it.
1: Give me that shot. So, but do you augment it with some of those other treatments? I have to answer yes, because I've, I've done that before. And with MiquelMod in particular, you know, uh, June Robinson, uh, a great, great leader in dermatology, also a Mohs surgeon, published a great paper in the former Archives of Dermatology and showed that you can clear nodular basal cell carcinoma with a micromod, about seventy-five percent of the time, it's not ninety, it's not ninety-five, it's not ninety-nine. But you know, you c- some patients will take a chance on that, right? And if uh, if it works out, great. If they let you take a follow-up two-millimeter little punch biopsy just to make sure it's gone, that's reassuring. And you just watch them really closely. And if there's any sort of what looks like recurrence over the next, you know, one to five years, you then then you just tell, them, look, you got to have surgery, right? You got to you got to go for the the cutting yeah. what about what
0: about radiation therapy some of the superficial radiation um, machines that dermatologists are using how, how do you yep. incorporate any of those
1: so you know we have a great radiation uh, uh department here radiation oncology department here and we use a di- obviously they use different radiation than what we're talking about superficial radiation i don't want to forget to mention flash radiation which i'll mention in just a second but we do radiation occasionally um honestly j- mostly it's a it's an adjuvant therapy to uh add-on therapy to a squamous cell carcinoma that's got perineural invasion or a really nasty squame. We typically don't do it for the nasal tip just because sometimes you can get some necrosis and even um, uh, cartilage necrosis as well. Um, maybe in a, in a patient who really um, just, just couldn't sit still for a while in the chair. In general, though, we're, we're not doing much Radiation, even superficial radiation at Dartmouth right now. I will tell you that myself and and Charles Thomas, and he's the chair of radiation oncology, there's a new uh, type of technology, if you will, radiation. It's called flash radiation. It's kind of like a, a high pulse radiation, X radiation. And one to two treatments for squamous cell carcinomas in animals is good enough. And it's sort of like this idea of lasers and in photothermalysis, right? You get in there real quick, you give them the radiation, and you get out of there so that there's not that collateral damage to the tissue. So I actually think we'll be doing more radiation in the future with this flash technology. Very
0: interesting, right? We have the data in animals, and we'll, we'll, we'll get data in humans, and we'll certainly find out. So I want to move on to probably something, I don't want to say probably, I know it is very common, lesions that are more broad like superficial or multifocal basal cell carcinoma or squamous cell carcinoma in situ, which could be on the head and neck, could be on the lower extremities. Sometimes those SCC in situ lesions can be on genitalia, you know, the skin of genitalia, not you know, mucosal. We're not talking about intravaginal or cervical or anything like that. We're talking on, you know, and so the the topical therapies that we've had, I know I've had a lot of experience with topical amicomod, but there are certainly others to consider. Can you go through a few Mm -hmm. common scenarios of how you do this and, you know, with a few different clinical circumstances that you know I'm going to see and others are going to see?
1: Yep, so you're really talking about epidermal keratinic keratinocytic tumors, so superficial basal cell, superficial squamous cell in situ tumors, thin things. We talked about a Micomad and and you know I like a Micomad for melanoma in situ, so I certainly use it for superficial basal cell and and Bowen's disease and things like that. Um, topical 5-FU is still a good treatment for those uh, thin superficial lesions. It's certainly on the trunk and, and legs and arms where you can see what's happening. Um, PDT is not yet approved for superficial basal cell in Bowens, but I'll just tell you it works. The Europeans know this is approved in Europe for superficial basal cell and squamous cell carcinoma in situ. And in um, Central America and South America, where they don't have much most surgery, they they use this all the time very effectively. We're currently doing a study right now using PDT for superficial basal cell carcinoma. And I can just tell you we're we're getting good results. So, I think depending on the size of the lesion, if it's a really large lesion, I like to do PDT. Are if you talking sm- about blue light or red light or, you know, I'm going to I'm going to say yes. I use both of those. I'm, I'm <laughs> Right now, I'll, I'll just tell you, I, I really like uh, the nano emulsion and red light. Uh, the nano emulsion actually penetrates just a little bit deeper into the epidermis and the red light also reaches a little bit uh, further down to the basal layer. And I think that if you're just using one light, that that's what I would pick. I will tell you, though, that using both red and blue in the same patient on the same tumor actually works really well. So blue light first, you increase the PP9. And so you can turn off the light for four or five minutes, give them a break. The PP9 or the oxygen, single oxygen will go up and then you can turn the red light on and you will get better results that way. You get more redness and and it hurts a little bit more, but that's a very effective way to treat non-actinic keratoses. And, and how long How long
0: are you leaving on the amino acid to
1: incubate? Yeah. So so with so I we shouldn't talk about trade names but with the nano emulsion Ameluz I'll leave it on for 30 minutes. Uh, first treatment, first treatment 30 minutes and 10 minutes under the light. And for the um, solution Levilon I'll leave it on for an hour and go up to about 15 minutes. And then second treatment, third treatment's negotiable. It kind of depends on their response and you know if they handled the, the pain and the redness very well, you can increase both the incubation and the acu- and the activation, depending on how they responded the first time.
0: Now you mentioned, and and I'll I'll end with this, Shane, because I want to be respectful of your time. I know you're stamping out disease in the corridors of of Dartmouth there, right, with patients, and I'm sure with residents and other clinicians. So let's take a, a squamous cell carcinoma in situ, right. And it, and it could be on the trunk. It could be on the extremities, maybe even the forehead. I've seen them on the scalp of men that balding scalps, and you don't know where they end, you know, That's really, true. histologically. Right. With with topical amicumat, I find that what people become fearful of or confused by, I should say, even more, is a lot of times you'll get a brisk— inflammatory visible response and really that represents that you're stimulating that host immune response it doesn't have direct effect like 5FU does on right. on the cells right? right and so they're taken aback by that but the more brisk the response the better the patient does in terms of clearance in my experience and you could stop and push further right yeah. so how do you do it how do you know you're finished and what do you do
1: when you get a brisk response, how sure. do you figure out your endpoint? Love a mod, especially if I'm if I'm only going to use topicals. Let's say a transplant patient, high risk. I'm going to use a micromod. I I use a retinoid two weeks before, Jim. I okay. put them on retin A, um, tazarotene if they can get it. A lot of times that's not covered, but a retin A fourteen day, days in a row, and then I'll start a mod. Let's just call it squamous cell carcinoma site situ on the scalp where the, the hair follicles maybe, you know, you can get some atypia falling down the hair follicle. So, you want a very brisk response. I show them pictures and say, I want you to look like this, right? This is what I expect. I will start them Monday through Friday, five days a week, weekends off, and I'll see them back after four weeks of a And based on the amount of response and inflammation, I'll either go up on the frequency to seven days a week. If it's not really reacting like I want it to, very brisk. And if it's too brisk and uncomfortable and weepy, I'll go down to Monday, Wednesday, Friday, three days a week. And I'll see him back again in another four weeks. And we'll adjust from that point on. So just like you said, you want it simmering uh, inflammation. You know, you want a consistent, good inflammation there. Not too much, not too little, um, and you want to, so here's the other thing we stopped, we did the superficial basal cell studies a long time ago and the results are good, but at six weeks, they weren't great. If you go out to 12 weeks, that's a long time, three months, the patient's got to commit to it. You'll get much better results, whether it's squamous cell, basal cell, or melanoma in situ. So 12 weeks, we got to settle up on that before we started. It. It's a three month, 12 week, um, uh, dosing schedule.
0: Well, and, you know, I, I I could think of one patient in particular where I was thinking I was going to biopsy his scalp. I'm, if I biopsy enough, I'm going to see some areas of superficial invasion, right? This still will treat that as long as you're not dealing with it, what would be considered to be a definitively invasive squamous cell carcinoma. Because when you biopsy, you're only taking it from one small area. But so let's say I could think of this patient – called me up at two weeks and said, you know, Dr. Rosso, it's not very painful. And that's one of the good things about a micromod versus 5-FU in my experience. It's not a lot of pain, but it gets very inflamed. It can be irritating, you know, physically irritating, but it's not painful, but it's very brisk, red, and exudes. So sometimes... I. I would stop in that situation and then tell them I want to see them in in 2 weeks and then restart. And I may restart, but when do you figure out first of all was Jim Dorasso screwing him up or was that reasonable and how long do you go? Right?
1: Yeah, I mean I I think to your point Jim, I, I like to see a brisk reaction. I don't always have them stop it unless they're they're like in pain like you said. They may not be in pain, but a but a nice brisk rea- brisk reaction. I just lower the frequency. And I'll, I'll tell them to, you know, sort of tough it out. If they can't do it, they can take a holiday. They can take a break. They can take a week off. That is no problem. And then I restarted again. My experience, I found that the length of time they have the inflammation. So 12 weeks, not six. If you can just get that smoldering inflammation for that long, you're, you're going to be more successful than if you just shorten it up or start stop too soon. You know, some patients will stop on their own. And those are the patients who typically have the recurrences.
0: So, So the message is the inflammation is good, not bad. If it's too much inflammation, we can give you a little break or lower the frequency. And we want to get to at least 12 weeks. That's what I heard from Shane Chapman, right? Yes, sir. Yes, right? right. So, so you surpassed Mr. Rogers in my book. You're number one. from, from <laughs> Thanks so much for your time today. Yeah. Uh, say hello to your lovely wife for me. And I'm sure I'll be seeing you at another meeting. You did a great job at our residence meeting, by the way. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, that was a great presentation on the same topic. That's what gave me the idea. Thanks a lot and enjoy. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for listening to this episode of Derms and Conditions. If you have any questions, please email us at podcast at dermsquared.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at D-E-R-M-S-Q-U-A-R-E-D.com. Podcast at dermsquared.com.